Welcome to the Wickedly Smart Women podcast, featuring stellar conversations with emerging and established Wickedly Smart Women. Thanks for joining us today as we celebrate women who are committed, care deeply, and have the courage to take action and create conscious change all around the world. Now here's your Wickedly Smart host, Angel B. Hartwell. Welcome to another episode of the Wickedly Smart Women podcast, where we celebrate Wickedly Smart Women and provide our listeners with a wealth of wisdom along with immediately actionable steps to be smarter, spunkier, and more successful in their impact and their leadership. This is your host, Angel B. Hartwell, and today we welcome our very special guest, Betty Kearse. Betty is a retired pediatrician her family's oral historian, and there's a special word in her bio that I didn't ask about pronouncing, so we'll ask about that. Uh, It says griot. Is that the correct pronunciation of that, Betty? Great. So she is her family's griot, which means oral historian. She's a public speaker, and she is the author of the memoir, The Other Madisons, The Lost History of a President's Black Family which was published on March 24th in 2020 in hardcover and has recently been also released in paperback. And she is a descendant of a slave and her owner and half-brother, President James Madison. Welcome, Betty, to Wickedly Smart Women. I'm already getting the tingles all over me. I can tell this is going to be an amazing interview. Well, thank you, Angel, for including me among your wickedly smart women. Well, clearly you fit the bill, Betty. So I want to hear about what inspired you, like what caused you to become your family's griot, your family's oral historian? What uh, was, you know, part of that journey? Because I actually happen to be the holder in my own family of the genealogy of our family. So what inspired you to become your family's oral historian? Well, I am very fortunate to be the eighth generation American griot of my family. And I say emphasize American because tradition actually started in Africa and goes back thousands of years, um, even possibly before the birth of Christ. But, uh, you know, during the African slave trade, when people were stolen and enslaved, they did not leave that tradition in Africa. They brought it with them. And it has been very strong in my family. As I said, I'm the eighth generation one. And so in 1990, That's when it became my turn. My mother turned over to me the old cardboard box of family memorabilia, which made me the current griot. And by the way, it's griot if you're a woman and griot for men. Beautiful. Okay. So let's talk about oral tradition and let's talk about the immense value that is actually hidden in 
oral traditions in in many cultures. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because it is an epic responsibility, I'm sure, to take that role on in your family lineage, but it's also an epic cultural responsibility. So can you speak a little bit about that? Well, particularly in, in West Africa, the griots and griots are responsible for maintaining the entire history of their people and the stories of their individual ancestors. So these people have to have amazing memories. For me, it is a little bit less awesome. I don't have to maintain orally uh, the tradition of, of my whole country. My responsibility is to make sure my family's stories do not get lost and that our ancestors never be forgotten, and that we sort of become close to them and accept them as family members, although many, many of them are long gone by recognizing, you know, that they're still part of us. Mm, Beautiful. So what I heard there, Betty, is that there's a difference between a, like the village griot or the country griot, right? And then the family griot. Am I hearing that correctly? I think that's a good way of putting it. So I'm the family griot. But as the family griot, you are also carrying a thread of the culture, right? You, you, I would imagine, are carrying a thread of the culture, but how your family intersected with your kind of cultural lineage. Am I hearing that correctly? Yes. So we have a set of values and beliefs, but most importantly, I think the values that have have passed down through generations and generations. Of course, they've had to be adapted to you know the current times. But those values, like for example, a sense of family and a sense of community, that's part of the tradition. Yeah, beautiful. So when you took on this role. Were you already aware of your descendancy from slavery through, you know, family stories before you took on the role? Or was that something that kind of came with the role? I was probably five years old, if not younger, when I first started hearing the family stories, most importantly about my enslaved ancestors and their enslavers who included President James Madison. So I was five, you know, but, you know, it sort of requires sort of an internal development or internal evolution to really figure out what that means. Mm. It's very complicated. So at first I thought it was just a way of getting me to behave. My mother would say, please always remember, you're a Madison. You come from African slaves and a president. Well, I thought she was just trying to get me to behave, which, you know, which sometimes she was. But as I grew older, I started really paying attention to the words and trying to figure out how this happened. What's the history here? Yeah. And so what inspired you to go deeper into that? Like, was there a particular turning point in your own life where after hearing it from the time you were five, you suddenly had a an awakening to deepen your own interest in finding out more about your heritage? Or was it part of that rite of passage where you you received 
uh, the role? Well, what happened was, as I said, when I was a child, I just thought my mother was trying to get me to behave. But even in my teenage years, I began to, you know, question, well, you know, how did that come about? How could, how could I be a descendant of a president and of, of slaves too? So there was something I was uncomfortable with. But I didn't really try to research that and to define it until I became the griot because it was now my responsibility. So in my mother's generation in particular, and probably, well, my mother's, I was, let me say my mother's generation in particular, she was very proud of being a descendant of a president. And, you know, she was never ashamed of having slaves on her family tree, but she was very proud of having this president. But me, I'm like, now, wait a minute, (laughs) you know? wait a minute, here's this powerful, powerful man who became my great, 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 great grandfather. But there was this very vulnerable black woman who became my great, 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 great grandmother. How did that happen? And so, you know, it was clearly through rape. No, it I, I don't, I generally don't think it, there was any violence involved. I think it was the imbalance of power. Mm. Well, rape is violent. Let's be clear about that. Well, Anytime somebody takes somebody else's uh, sovereignty, whether it's through enslavement or rape or whatever, I mean, to me, rape is violent. I'm just, that's that's my perspective of it. Unless you're saying that there was some kind of a love relationship with them that might be in your family story. I don't know. No, I'm not, I'm not saying that. Mm-hmm. I'm saying that there didn't have to be physical assault. Okay. And so that's what, I get, there's different types of violence. Mm-hmm. There's emotional violence which is extremely damaging. But often when there's a huge imbalance of power, such as from a very wealthy, prominent slave owner and a very poor, vulnerable, enslaved woman, that is coercion. There can be a fear of being punished, like being sold away, for example, that can lead to what might look like compliance, but it's not compliance. Mm. It's survival. So now I've lost track of the question. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. It's okay. I'm going to get us back on track. So because we did go down a, a, a little interesting slippery slope there. So I think the next question I want to ask you, Betty, is as you were yourself kind of questioning maybe even the values that, like you said, your mom was proud of being the daughter or great, you know, great, great, great granddaughter of a president, right? Which, I mean, when we're talking about the the enslavement system where there is, you know, the white supremacy and the white, usually masculine, white men in power and uh, black people enslaved, and black women enslaved. I mean, it's like the biggest tilt in terms of the power structure. But on top of that, 
this guy was the president, right? So it's like the top of the heap of the power structure. When you started to question that internally, like what were some of the things that you needed to do yourself to kind of reconcile all of that in your own personal life and then to be willing to to dig in and find out about the lost history? I wanted to know about these women. They were raped, however, however you define that, they were raped, but they went on. You know, they went on with their lives. And in the case of Corrine, who had the relationship with the president, her son was sold. So she also had to survive that. So I kind of went in search of them. I wanted to try to walk where they had walked and see what they had seen to get a feel for them as people and to begin to understand how they helped shape who I am. And so I had some extraordinary experience on that journey. One of them was going to Montpelier, which is James Madison's former plantation in in, uh, central Virginia. And when I went there, there was a groove in the ground. I don't know if I mentioned that she was an enslaved cook, but anyway, she was, my great, 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 great grandmother was an enslaved cook. And there was a groove in the ground that led from the rear entry of the mansion to where they were excavating the South Kitchen, which was about 70 feet beyond the uh, the actual mansion. So this groove in the ground had been worn into the earth by generations of enslaved cooks walking to and from the mansion, between the mansion and the kitchen, you know, serving the Madisons and their many, many guests. And so I actually walked in this groove and it was just, oh, I can't even just an amazing, undescribable feeling to literally be able to walk in the footsteps of an ancestor. And so I shared, you know, that very powerful experience with Corrine. And another experience that I had is I went to Ghana, West Africa, where Corrine's mother, whose name was, who was called Mandy, her slave name was Mandy, We don't know her her African name because she kept that a secret. But I went to Elmina Castle, which is probably where Mandy was held after her capture and before being shipped to America through, through the Middle Passage. So I was, again, in a space where, where she had been. And I could, you know, I could just sense her presence, hers in particular, but I could also sense the presence of the thousands of stolen women who had been been held there. Mm. And then finally, I went to Montpelier again, and I went to the slave cemetery. On, on my first trip, I wasn't able to go. It was just too much, you know, for me being where, you know, three generations of my family had been enslaved. I wasn't quite ready to just do all that in one day and then 
go to the cemetery where at least one of them was buried. But when I went to the cemetery, I was drawn to a particular tree. And at the base of that tree was a headstone, which was a crude piece of, of white quartz because that's what the enslaved people used as headstones and footstones. But there was one tree that had this one rock at the base and I felt drawn there. And when I knelt down and touched, I just knew that that was where my five greats grandmother had been buried. So it was, you know, it was quite, it was a physical journey, but it was also an emotional journey. And I came out of all these experiences just really honoring and respecting my enslaved ancestors, particularly the women. Mm, Beautiful. I love it. Well, we are already at the break. So, uh, I mean, you and I could talk for, I I could allow you to talk for hours here, but we do have to go to the break. And I do want to say Wickedly Smart Women, we could use your help. If you're enjoying the show and want us to stay on the air, please consider making a donation at www.wickedlysmartwomen.com. And we'd love to have you share with your lovely lady friends. I want to thank all of our listeners who are downloading, rating, and reviewing. We're welcoming thousands of downloads from all over the world. I do want to shout out this week, uh, we are now at 81 countries. So I want to shout out this week to our listeners. Let's see where we can go. Uh, Our listeners in Ethiopia and our listeners in Senegal. And let's also shout out to our listeners in Virginia. Because, um, you know, let's connect the African continent with the American continent through our work here with Betty today. And we will be right back with Betty Kearse. The Wickedly Smart Women podcast is brought to you by the Wealthy Life Mentor. Women, are you on the edge knowing that life is calling you to make a change? Are you ready to be part of the evolution of what it means to be a wickedly smart woman creating your wealthy life by design, a life that is an extraordinary work of art? Angel B. Hartwell, the Wealthy Life Mentor, is hired by women in transition, women just like you who want to break through to their brilliance, become clear on the value of their wisdom, and embody a beauty-filled, balanced life of shameless self-expression. Discover your wealthy life readiness by taking the quiz at quiz.wealthylifementor.com. And we are back with Betty Keir. She is the author of the memoir, The Other Madisons, The Lost History of a President's Black Family and descendant of a slave and her owner and half-brother, President James Madison. And uh, before we took the break, Betty was talking about really going through experiences here in the physical realm of really connecting with the land of uh, her ancestors, both in Africa and here on the American continent. And it was very powerful to to hear that those stories, Betty. What I want to do now is let people know that they can find out more about you and they can purchase this book at theothermadisons.com. 
We will have that that for everyone in the show notes. And um, Betty, I think from here, what I'd like to do is I'd like to talk to you about, you know, obviously her owner and half brother. Help me understand that. So, So descendant of a slave and her owner and half brother. So help me understand that piece of your bio here, because I'm a little lost there. Yes, yeah, that that's um, that is confusing. Uh, so I previously mentioned Mandy. Mandy was my family's first African ancestor in America, and our first griot, our first oral historian. So Mandy was captured in Ghana and ended up in Virginia and was purchased by James Madison Sr., the future president's father. And Mandy was put to work, according to our oral history, on a remote cotton field, in a remote corner of a, this is really a tobacco plantation. Montpelier was a huge tobacco, tobacco plantation, but there was a small cotton field where sort of a a poor quality cotton was grown and slaves could make what was called Negro cloth to make their own clothes. So Mandy was sent to work there and Madison Sr. saw her there. And the story goes that he became attracted to her because she could pick cotton so fast. Well, I would kind of argue with that reason. But anyway, the result of that attraction was the birth of a daughter. Her name was Corrine. But Madison Sr. was also married to Nellie Conway Madison, and they had a son. Their oldest son was James Madison Jr., who became the president. So James Madison Jr. and Corrine had the same father. That makes sense. um, And then James Madison, the president, became uh, raped Kareen and became the ancestor for your entire family line. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So, you know, I think what I want to really just reflect on here, Betty, is first of all, I want to honor you as a griot, you know, because that's certainly a powerful role to play in any family to carry the ancestry, to carry the storyline. That's a big role in any family in any culture. And I also want to honor you for being willing to do the work of bringing that out to the public, of taking this story and this family story and bringing it to the public. And in the final little bit of time that we have here today, I'd love to just invite you to share with our listeners, like, what do you feel is the most important thing that you want to impart either to, you know, ADOS, you know, American descendants of slaves, or people who are still perpetuating the white supremacy system. Yeah. Or about being a woman or about power dynamics. Like what, if anything, would you like to impart about all of those things? Because you're just like, I can tell we could literally spend hours digging in. Yes, we could. (laughs) So I think I will just pick one thing. And that is that enslaved people were remarkable individuals. 
they not only did they have an inner strength and a sense of their own humanity and a sense of hope, which helped get through this slavery thing, they also had remarkable talents by which they made many, many, many contributions to America, in particular to James Madison Jr. And that's a, that's a separate story right there. But when enslaved people died, those qualities did not die with them. They passed them on to their descendants. So to their descendants, which include myself, I would like us to embrace our slave ancestry and grab on to and nurture our own inner strengths, our own sense of hope and our own talents, in part to help combat racism, but you know, also you know, go on and make contributions and just make the most of our lives. And to the for other members of the American community, I would like us all to celebrate the many contributions that enslaved people and their ancestors have made in every area of human endeavor that you can think of. Mm, beautiful. I love that. I, I remember when I found out about the movie Hidden Figures, right? The women who basically were responsible for being able to get on the moon. And what I really love and appreciate about both your strength and your willingness to stand in and express your family history, what I really want to appreciate about that is that you've been the one who's been willing to expose and put the spotlight on and bring to the public eye, you know, things that people would not know if you had not chosen to do that. So I just really want to honor you for the level of honoring of your own ancestors on both sides that you have done in the creation of this book, The Other Madisons, and in your willingness to step up and stand out and speak out about these storylines in service. And so thank you so much for doing all that you have done, Betty. If there's one final thing that you'd like to say before we close, what would that be? Oh, I just want to give a shout out to African-American women. Just shout them out. I, I guess I'm bragging because I'm one of them. But we're, you know, we're great people and we have done so much uh, for this country and we're the pillar. Yes, you are. So thank you for bringing your beautiful gifts to this country. Thank you for bringing your beautiful gifts to this platform, the Wickedly Smart Women podcast. Thank you for, you know, shining a light where nobody knew information and being willing to condense that into something that we can consume and learn and grow together. And I'm just really grateful for you being here today, Betty. And uh, we're going to say goodbye. And we do want to say to our listeners, we love feedback. So please let us know what you thought of today's show by calling into our listener line. We will have that in the show notes for you. Please get the book, The Other Madisons at theothermadisons.com because the best way that we can build a better tomorrow is by being willing to open our minds to accept and appreciate what came before us in terms of our ancestors across the board. And we can also learn to grow together 
by having empathy and compassion and awareness of things that we didn't have awareness of before. So take a moment to buy the book and support Betty and her mission to get this message and this story out. Send in questions or guest suggestions or feedback about this episode to listeners at wickedlysmartwomen.com. And we might even give you a shout out on the show. Thank you for tuning in. Keep your ears open. And remember, you are a wonderful woman. Thanks for tuning in, downloading, and listening. Be sure to rate and review Wickedly Smart Women on Apple Podcasts and share with other women who can benefit from today's episode. Wickedly Smart Women is the premier podcast series for informing, activating, and inspiring the leader who carries profound wisdom and knows that now is the time to welcome wealth. We welcome your feedback and guest suggestions and invite you to subscribe to our mailing list to be notified of each new episode at wickedlysmartwomen.com.